0: Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind Bike Rider.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you.
1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today we will be talking about Bike of the Year. Bike of the Year is our industry-leading mega-test to deliver a verdict on the year's best road and mountain bikes. Now more than a decade old and ran by Bike Radar in conjunction with our colleagues at Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines, this year we have tested dozens of bikes over eight categories to bring you a summary of the very best bikes money can buy. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Simon Von Bromley and Warren Roster, two key members of our road testing team, to talk through the winning bikes in the road and gravel categories. We're going to kick things off by going through how we tested with both Simon and Warren, talking a little bit about our additional categories this year, and then revealing the big winners overall and in our performance category. Warren, how are you today, and how has this
0: year's Bike of the Year gone for you? um all oh, well, good thanks jack and um yeah the testing's been really interesting actually obviously i think this year more than any we've been faced with some epic challenges um not only in the kind of price crunch that you know we've all read so much about but also in, in just sheer availability because there's been um not only a lack of product there's also been increased demand so it like just getting hold of bikes has, uh, has been a big challenge
1: even for titans of the industry such as yourself well, I guess, yeah.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I guess when you're contacting the brands and saying, we really want to test these bikes, and they go, oh, sorry, we've sold them all. Um, There's not really much need in selling yeah. them last is there? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, yes, uh, you took the kind of lead in our gravel bike uh, categories as well. As, am I right in saying the endurance bike category as well?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. And how have you enjoyed this year's testing? Give us a little flavour for uh, the riding that you indulged in over the last couple of months. And in fact, that's a good point. When did you start testing for about uh, a
0: year? Uh, Probably the first bikes that I've in doing would probably be back in last September, I would have thought. Wow. So it's a fairly long process. Um, you know, you need to you need to ride all the bikes and ride them again and again and again. And then lots of back-to-back testing. I mean, just to give you an outline on, on endurance bikes, the way I normally sort of test this, and, you know, having done it for probably over a decade now. Um, the bikes come in, they'll go through our through our mechanic Will's hands you know we'll fully check them over get them set up and ready to go and then you know they'll come over to me and first off I just like to go out on a you know a nice good high tempo ride on each bike probably for two and a half hours just see how it feels make sure I can get any adjustments and any set differences that you know I, I want to make and then you get into like the bulk of the testing and I've I've been using the same sort of um, test route back where I live in Wiltshire mm-hmm. Um which is about 132k and every bike gets ridden on on that route um more than once and i'll you know i'll do it forwards and reverse etc etc and once i've done all that on every bike then i'll i'll start whittling down which ones i think are the better ones and, and keep doing it i think on the endurance bike testing this year i've notched up over 1200 miles getting over 2000 kilometers just on the endurance category
1: dear me and what was the uh, top cafe stop amongst your favorite 130 kilometre loop
0: um it's usually the same place which is um which is a, a a farm shop um in a place called Eddington um next to a really nice pub called the three daggers who have their own brewery
1: nice so many pints and coffees drinking in this not many
0: testing. pints not many pints but um you know uh just being just you know you can actually have a coffee in this sort of brewery area so you can smell the you can smell the beer rather than drink it. Which almost as good. Almost as good. Uh,
1: before we go into the other categories, Simon, you've headed up our performance bike testing. So give us a flavour for, you know, what that category entails and what testing you've done. So performance, uh, the performance road bike
2: category is, as the uh, name suggests, it's all kind of high-end road bikes. So I've uh, yeah been very lucky enough to ride a load of sort of six to eight and a half thousand pound bikes over the last few months, which has all been very exciting. And I think, like Warren, you know, my test loops tend to go over very very familiar terrain. I think, you know, I can't attest to having test loops quite as long as <laughs> as Warren's, but um but yeah, I t- tend to take in familiar climbs, familiar descents, familiar roads so you can kind of, you know, you're testing those bikes on on roads that you know you're very comfortable with. You know how the bike a bike, you know, kind of typically goes down that hill or mm. up that hill or uh, you know across that kind of ex- exposed section of road and then so when you take a new bike on there you, you know the differences become a bit more apparent you're not worrying about kind of you know which direction you're going that sort of thing so yeah lots lots of uh being out on nice posh carbon road bikes with the latest electronic group sets
1: and carbon wheels you know it's, it's a tough job yeah, it just sounds absolutely appalling yes and uh, for you simon did you have any delicious cafe stops or were we more focused on uh, pocket snacks
2: uh more focused on pocket snacks. And actually, um, one thing that uh, I have really gotten into during my testing is those little uh, Belgian sugar waffles. Oh, yeah. Oh, those those are a, re- a real good snack. I was pro- probably should be riding 130k if
1: I'm eating those on the bike. <laughs> Some nice empty white carbs and sugar. <laughs> Lovely. Well, the l- testing hasn't been limited to just these two. We have, of course, got our mountain bike categories and you can listen to about those in a previous episode of the bike radar podcast but warren we also have some additional categories which have been handled by friends of bike radar do you want to outline those
0: yeah i mean we did um uh a women's bike test where we were actually looking at at the women specific models that are out there um you know and Catherine, who's just handled i think all of our uh, gravel podcasting took that on um and i've had lots of really good long conversations with her about bikes that she rode and what she enjoyed about them. Um she's really interesting. And then on the budget side, um it was uh, Simon Withers who is tends to be our sort of um <laughs> value packed expert, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really wonderful affectation. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Yeah.
1: it He's, he, he, to be fair, he has tested a lot of cheap bikes in his time, lots of touring bikes as well. He yeah. definitely knows his way around the yeah, budget he, model. He,
0: he definitely does. And you know, I was chatting with Simon about about his sort of the way he was testing Testing those bikes was probably a very different approach to you know Simon heading out on performance bikes or me you know, heading out onto gravel or or big endurance miles. And Simon sort of was talking about how these are bikes that you're more likely to live with. Mm. So he was using them for commuting and running errands and you know um, weekend rides and that sort of yeah. thing. And so um, I, you know, and I think um, again he came away impressed this year with with just how good budget bikes again.
1: Yes yes and uh you know obviously you can get all the details on com. but if you want the full print in hand experience what issue of cycling plus can our delightful listeners uh read about he's in?
0: it's um issue 393 which um i'm terrible on on sale dates i tend to work so far ahead um On on sale now-ish. On sale now-ish, depending on when this goes out. On sale middle middle of May. Middle of May. Wonderful, yeah. We'll be out
1: by then. Well, do get that. It's always lovely to have the paper copy, but if you can't get that where you're listening, of course, everything will be on bike radar. Okay, now we're not going to keep you in suspense any longer. Warren, you've made a very controversial choice for this year's overall winner for the road bike category. What is it?
0: Um, you know, you say I've made this choice. It was a,
1: uh, oh, a collaborative effort. It was trish. a collaborative
0: effort. And we did, um, you know, we did have meetings and chats about it, both in, in person and uh, across teams. And actually, I mean, for the first time ever, we've actually gone with a gravel bike.
1: Gravel bike for the overall road category. We're going to let that sink in, a sign of the times. <laughs>
0: uh, and what is that bike, Warren? The bike is um, Giants Revolt Advanced Pro Zero a very a bike that was recently ish
1: updated yeah
0: yeah it's it's new for for 2022 and um i would say you know the 2021 version i i thought was brilliant i really really liked i mean i you know in in fact encouraged um a staff member on cycling plus who was looking for a gravel bike to get one and um just before they replaced it obviously <laughs> <laughs> but for the 2022 one, it's like any of the small niggles I had with the old version—they've just addressed. Mm. It's almost like they were listening to my conversations. Maybe it's—it's it's very weird. Um, you know, so you've got a a new chassis that's 200 grams lighter than the old one. a significant amount of uh, of weight to lose. You know, to, to put that in context, the the bike that I tested, which was a large, um, so the equivalent like a 58 centimeter, was 8.3 kilos
1: and that's with uh, a GRX DI2 group set
0: yeah. quite fancy carbon wheels remember correctly yeah it's got giants giants C- CXR 1 carbon wheels on it but to you know to make an 8.3 kilo bike with 40c Mm. It's pretty impressive stuff. I mean, it's lighter than quite a few of the insurance bikes that I was testing.
2: And, not, oh, sorry, sorry, I was going to say, it's not madly expensive either, is it? No. Typically, giant is quite good value. So, even though, as you say, it does come with you know, electronic gears and fancy components, compared to some of, uh, some of the other bikes on the market that come with similar components, it's actually quite well priced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: it, it, against some of its, its rivals in, in, in that category, it's sort of between five and eight hundred pounds cheaper. That's a and, lot. And it's lighter and it's got a better group set. Yeah. And you're just kind of, you know, it, it's one of those things where you're kind of trying to work out how they're doing it.
1: Mm. We'll come on to the group set in a minute because I read an interesting line on that from you. But, you know, to, to choose a gravel bike compared to an endurance bike, or over an endurance bike rather, I think asks uh, asks an interesting question of the point of an endurance bike. I mean, given you were riding the the two categories back to back, do you think there's still space for a endurance bike and everyone's stable, or is a gravel bike really what you should be buying? I think there's,
0: there's a very strange world of convergence going on. Mm. You know, if I take in like the gravel category, um, there was one bike in there which I, I was really impressed by, and that's um, VLO's V Plus One, which is very much a kind of stripped-down, almost kind of racing gravel bike. But the geometry is quite close to an endurance bike, and it rides with a real kind of sporty speed and handling on the road. So it kind of it's like this gravel bike is coming way, way over towards endurance. And then when you look at the some of the bike's endurance category, I mean the um things like the Canadale's new synapse, which is obviously the first synapse since the synapse began that doesn't bear a UCI mm. regulation sticker because they haven't made it for races, they've made it for normal people. Um, that seems to be pushing into that kind of Kind of gravel adjacent, gravel affiliated sort of bike. Mm-hmm. So you're ending up with these, these, these two different genres of bike that are actually converging in quite an interesting ways. So um, I do think there's definitely a place for it because mm-hmm. I, you know, I fully believe that you know most most people riding a road bike probably aspire to owning a, I mean, a super high end performance bike. You know, the sort of thing you're going to see ridden in the tour. But most yeah. of those people have been much better off in an endurance bike. Mm-hmm you know because you're just getting a much more usable experience you're getting a bike that's just brings brings comfort over stiffness and lightness and so it would just be a better bike to live with day to mm-hmm.
1: i know one particular highlight with the revolt you uh, dis- uh described the uh shimano grx di2 group set as criminally under on other bikes you know talk about that a bit because i can't help
0: but agree well, I think it's it's in this guise as well, because it's the two-by version of GRX mm-hmm. Di2. Now, I'm a big fan of GRX Di2. I mean, you know, there's been lots of stuff that I did on bike radar around, around the launch of it. Um, you know, I think, I think the braking is absolutely exceptional. The, the way that they've reshaped the levers to make the braking from the hoods almost indistinguishable from braking in the drops it just works so well on gravel, but it also works remarkably well on the road. Um, and then actually having a two-by... Um, opens up the revolt to lots more beyond just pure gravel. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, some people might sort of decry maybe, you know, the gearing because it's a 4831 mm-hmm. um, with an 1134 cassette. Um, it's actually, that's pretty decent on a road, you know, 40, 4811, it enabled me to keep up with, with, you know, some of my roadie mates when I was out on rides um, and not feel, you know, not feel hampered or, um, but you've got this much smoother spread through through a much wider range of gearing. So it doesn't feel too much of a disadvantage on the road and it works exceptionally well off it.
2: Mm.
1: Any other highlights from that bike that kind of pushed it apart from the kind of spec and the value? What else kind of elevated it above, uh, uh, ahead of the others on test?
0: Um, I just think really that, that it just balances impeccable comfort uh, and a kind of smoothness both on and off-road. Um, but it it's got handling more akin to a road bike than it has to a you know a kind of slacked out mm. you know gravel bike and it wasn't really any terrain that i threw it at that i thought oh it's getting a bit out of its depth here and i think you know it's it's got decent versatility to it you know going back to the improvements I made over the old one you know things like much bigger tire clearances, much lower weight, uh, and one of the criticisms I did have on the old one, which I know is a bit divisive, but um, I do like a dropper post on a gravel bike, mm. but mainly because a lot of the gravel riding I do will take in uh, quite a few kind of mat and bright single track trails and a bit of you know, a, a bit of um, downhill type um, antics, and just being able to shift the saddle out of the way and just you know make yourself better centered on the bike is is fantastic. But on the old Revolt, because it uses Giant's D shaped um post which does offer lots of compliance and comfort um you couldn't do Mm -hmm. now the new one still comes with a D post but um the seat binder arrangement is actually an adapter
1: it's quite clever that i have to say it's like genuinely a class it's like a um almost like a standard integrated uh seat clamp but it does essentially take up the space that shape post would take up
0: yeah so you literally you take that out and you can put a 272 standard post in there around mm-hmm. a dropper and it's rooted for droppers as well so it just um it just seems to be such a very very well thought out bike um which i guess is something giant very good at
1: do make bloody good bikes all giant have to say uh two tcr owners actually in the room next to me When I think about it both a pair of you both uh, own your own fair tcr there you go okay simon Moving away from the gravel world, we're into the un- uncompromising Bromley, the perfect category for a man <laughs> such as yourself. What has won your category and why?
2: The winner of the Performance Road category Bike of the Year 2022 is the Merida Scultura team. Mm-hmm. And it won that category because it's just an incredibly uh, well put together, fast, good value you know kind of world tour spec bike and it, you know it kind of impressed me everywhere it was it was really really difficult um to fault it the the only, the only the only thing that i could you know i had to nitpick um <laughs> it's your which, job, mate. which i love to do <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it, it it comes with an integrated cockpit and that integrated cockpit is only available in sort of free sizes so free combination of you know stem length and bar width um, so you can have short and narrow, medium and medium and long and wide, which for me is no good. But you know, you, you, it runs on a kind of typical FSA integrated headset system. So you, you know, you could replace that if you were as, you. As, as if you're as sad as me and you, you care about those extra centimeters at the cockpit. But apart from that, you know, it's got the new Jura Ace uh, 12-speed group set with a power meter uh vision 45 millimeter tubeless ready carbon wheels you know, in the kind of top spec uh, spec version of them it's you know improved aerodynamics over the previous version and in a kind of age where bike prices are you know at that end of the market are kind of pushing Bonkers. yeah they're just getting you know if you if you wanted a, a world tour spec road bike from you know any of the kind of really big name brands you know you're looking at 10000 £10, pounds plus these days, whereas the Merida comes in at less than eight k, and then obviously that's still incredibly expensive. It is not money I would ever spend on a bike, but at that end I mean, of I the think, market, yeah, that's
0: the thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I I read that that bike at its launch, and like you, it was just like wildly impressed. With it. It's just fabulously balanced. It's not too edgy in its handling. It's it's really you know, it's and it's it's remarkably smooth for such a light bike. Mm-hmm. But talking about value seems odd when you're talking about a bike but it's phenomenally good value when you compare it to you know the real big players in the market we're talking you know in, in most part probably £4,000 cheaper
2: yeah even, even if you were shopping with a kind of direct sales brand like Canyon you know they have an equivalently specced uh, Ultimate CFR and it doesn't come with the durace ace power meter which so, is what
1: a £1,000-ish yeah, yeah. So, and obviously
2: you can buy cheaper power meters and whatever but you know, if you it want, that, exactly, if you want that matching integrated parameter. So, yeah, just a really fun bike to ride. And, you know, it goes uphill really well. It goes downhill really well, as, you know, Matej Mahoric showed. It's also dropper post compatible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If if that's your kind of cup of tea. Well, you know, it's one of those things, you go, you know, when we had this conversation, like, are dropper posts going to take over? Well, you need a bike with a round seat post. And, you know, that was one of the things I liked about the Merida was the fact that it uses a round seat post. Mm. So you can change it out if it's, you know, if the one that comes with it isn't what you wanted. The same with the integrated handlebar like if you don't like it it uses yeah. a standard round steerer so you don't have to actually, use it and actually yeah
0: I like the, the, the fact that yeah it does come with a one piece integrated bar but most of its rivals do as well but Merida haven't gone down that that um, rabbit hole of a, a, a proprietary dedicated system mm-hmm. They're using FSA's ACR which you know FSA make a multitude of stems which aren't yes integrated yeah, and everything exactly. so, so it's really really it's adaptable you know you know, I know you Simon. You have very, very particular about your your, your bar. Yeah, more so than most people. people. more so <laughs> than most people. But you know, the, the, I mean, the one I rode, it was kind of, um, it was pretty much bang on, bang on for what yeah. I needed. You know, it had like the, you know, give us a large an XL bike, so like a fifty eight. Now the equivalent of probably like a 110 120 stem on it and the bar width was just a slightly narrower than a 42. Yeah. So it was actually a little bit, you know, probably a little bit narrower than what and I would use. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, and I, I was sort of... And for, mo-
2: and for most people it will be, and I think that's where Merida is saving money. You know, if you buy a Pinarello, their kind of most Talon integrated bar has kind of 28 combinations yeah. of sizes. But then, you know, if you would buy a Dogma F, that costs you 14, maybe 12, maybe 14,000 pounds, depending on which spec With the equivalent get. spec, yeah. So... That's the kind of area, but like for me, that's a, you know that's a compromise that's absolutely fine. Because as you say, most people, the sizing of it is going to be absolutely fine. You know, if you need to make a little bit of reach adjustments, obviously you can always play with the saddle position if that's something you're comfortable with doing. And if not, as Warren says, you know it uses a kind of standard FSA system, a standard round steerer tube, so you know you have room to swap it out for something else if you want to. Uh, you know, on top of that, it's got. Great tire clearance, room for up for thirty two C tires, gives you you know heaps of versatility. It, you know, it, it was it is the only thing I perhaps didn't like was maybe the paint job, but again, you know,
0: but pretty, it is but it is available in black.
2: It is available yeah. in black as well. So and that's that's obviously I do, I do think it be should be, I
0: do think in the the way that we had it, it should have shipped with a sharpie as well, so, that, <laughs> so, so you could color some bits in.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, just a final question Uh, you know I I can't believe I'm choosing to ask you this this is supposed (laughs) to be a brief podcast but the uh, you know you're a big fan of the Reacto which is Merida's aero bike Um, I'm just curious to hear how you think the uh, Scultura compared to it and you know I know you would probably buy the Reacto Simon as Mm. you are an aero man but you know how how do the two compare essentially in terms of ride quality so in terms of ride quality
2: I think the Scultura is slightly more comfortable and that just Probably comes down to the fact that it just has smaller tubes, and so yep. the, you know, inevitably, smaller seat stays are going to flex a little bit more, even under you know, someone who weighs as little as I do. Uh, but in terms of handling and stuff, actually, they you know, they're both quite similar. I think they have they have similar geometry. Yeah, yeah. pretty much identical geometry, in fact, and um, so they handle very similarly. Now, for me, I would take the Aero bike because you know, I believe that's the faster bike, but there are a lot of people. And, you know, we see it in the World Tour that most of the riders choose to ride that kind of lightweight all-rounder, you know, slash aero road bike. And that's the kind of design that, you know, Specialized and Trek and and a lot of the other big brands are kind of settling on, is that rather than a pure dedicated road bike like the Reacto or the Madone or the the Venge, as it used to be, this kind of lightweight all-rounder road bike that enables you you know basically to be fast on kind of all terrain whether it's up mountains down mountains in the valley blah 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 I can see why that makes sense whereas you know if you get an aero bike with 60 millimeter wheels you know that is going to feel kind of sluggish if you take it to the Alps and then you know when you're coming down those mountains those those really deep wheels might be a bit of a handful yes (laughs) so yeah it's that kind of thing if if the the weight gain of an aero bike concerns you but you still really want a fast bike then these Lightweight all-rounder bikes, you know, with their kind of aero detailing, integrated cockpits, and you know, hidden cables and all those things. You know, they are still incredibly fast.
1: Final question, actually, I'll come back to you, Warren, ask the same. But any other kind of highlights from your testing uh, from that category that you particularly enjoyed?
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed testing the uh, Lapierre's SL. and um, that's Lapierre's a brand that I hadn't ridden before um and it's got a kind of interesting design where the seat stays past the seat tube and and meet the top tube um, which gives it a really nice kind of comfortable ride feel without the kind of rear end feeling like disconnected or Mm. at all um that was a really fast bike and one of the comments that lapierre made when they launched the bike was that they'd updated the handling to be faster and you could really feel it it was a very uh reactive bike and and i quite enjoyed that <laughs> mm. but it isn't a bike that i would recommend to someone who didn't want a race bike yeah. so that made it kind of like obviously it's a performance road category and so you know it, it scored very well within that category but it makes it hard to recommend to anyone you know if you're not racing do you need a bike that's like that reactive i don't know and i think for most people they'd probably be better off on the merida which is a slightly calmer bike mm. but it was also great it looked really nice had a beautiful paint job it very looked cool. looked very different, and have the kind of you know normal d- drop seat stays look that every every bike in inverted commerce has these days. So yeah, that was a bit of a highlight as well.
1: Lovely. And for you, Warren, what about other kind of highlights within the categories you were responsible for? Um, I think
0: I, I I'm kind of becoming a really big fan of the new Synapse. Mm. Um, mainly because I think it it's a bit of an outlier and it's stepped away from the the norm. You know, I think. Now they've introduced the, you know, the, the bike that we had in for for the insurance bike of the year um, was the Limited RLE. And it's a really interesting bike because on the one side it's got not 45 aero wheels, mm. which are, you know, lovely. And it's got a beautiful build. But then it's got a 2 by GRX dr 2 group on it, which is kind of quite interesting. And the tyres on it have got a little bit of grip, but they're not gravel tyres. So it's, it's pushed itself away from what the Synapse used to be, mm. which was basically comfy squishy road bike well it, it was it was a comfortable version of the evo mm. that's basically what it was but but it was still being raced you know the you know it, you know again Ravel again was worn on a synapse you know Sagan got sick for paris-roubaix riding a synapse and now this new one has just gone so far far away from racing but it's brought in some really interesting new ideas um in, into a into a category that i think does need a bit of a shake-up you know mm. Because the endurance category, because it's it's basically it's being attacked on one side by by performance gravel bikes, and then as we've just been saying, you know, lightweight race bikes are getting more comfortable. Mm. So it's kind of being squeezed by both sides. So I think it needs to evolve and um, to to remain valid. And I think that yeah, I think this this the RLE one, you know, it's got a built-in Garmin radar, it's got it's got integrated lights front and rear, one central battery. Um, so it just kind of. Takes all these kind of cues from other other you know other areas. Um, you know, it's got more fixtures and fittings than before. It, it's just kind of it's it's a bike that is almost a wish list of the things that you might want to put on that bike to you know to, to live with it day to day. It's
1: like the uh, ultimate audaxing bike. Nah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly, yeah. Just to get a pair of matching carbon mudguards to uh, to complement your nice carbon bike, yes. <laughs> um, do, you, do you think the kind of radar light system, do you think it'll last the test of time? Will it be something that's adopted by other brands? Do you think it's a bit of a flash-in-the-pan idea?
0: I, I think it's a first step. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting idea. Because I've had time now to sort of, you know, live with it and use it. And where initially I thought, well, what, I, I choose, what if I want to choose my own lights? You know, and the lights on it are perfectly good. And how, uh, But I do think... Everything being integrated, it means you're not left with all this clutter. You don't end up, you know, when the when the spring and summer comes around, the nights draw out, taking your lights off, putting them in a drawer, and then getting to the next winter and going, "Where's the other half of this bracket?" Where Mm -hmm. these, you know, I've got a drawer in my, you know, my workshop at home that's just full of.
1: Half lights, half, half of lights. Half
0: lights. Yeah. You know. I mean I've got a, I've got a pot by my back door, which is all old bike lights, that I just use as torches at night for walking the dog mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I haven't got the brackets for them anymore. But it seems, you know, wasteful to throw them away. So and having one central battery that charges everything, it just takes it just makes everything so much easier. You haven't got to remember to, you know, charge this, charge that, take this off, put that off. Um I I don't think it's perfect yet. I think, you know, as battery technology increases, as the light technology increases, um, the ones that we're getting in the UK at the minute are STVO compliant, so they don't have the battery life for big, big rides. You'll get about four hours out of them. Mm. But um, if it had the international system where you can run flash mode or whatever, then you can get 30 plus hours of, of life out of them. But because these lights have got to be on, you know, With the ST compliance, they're just on all the time. There's not a lot you can do about it. But I think as a first first step of doing something a bit different, I think it's it's bold, and I hope it's successful.
1: Yeah, the Dynamo botherers amongst us, uh, myself included, we kind of went, well, you know, already had integrated lights (laughs) for some time. But yes, it's it's a cool system, and I, you know, I mentioned it in a previous podcast. But I used the radar system. As a standalone thing. I have to say, it's very good in some circumstances. I so. really like it.
0: I mean, mm. just for um, that kind of urban and suburban riding, when you want to pull out and turn right, so that you don't have to keep looking over your shoulder for to coming in. It's just telling you. See. I find it quite
1: annoying in urban riding. I find it quite distracting. But in rural riding, I found it quite helpful where it would see long before I would. But anyway, discussion for another time. Um, bike of the Year. It's, it's pretty much rounded out. We're going to be kind of drip feeding reviews pretty much all the way through to June, end of June, right into July, I think, as well. We've got a lot of bikes tested across all the categories, I think 50 plus this year. So do stay tuned to the site for all of that. And we will have all the uh, winners announced by the time this uh, podcast goes out. So again, head to bikeradar.com. We'll, we'll be on a, a body bonanza on the homepage. <laughs> Um, any closing thoughts from the two hard-working uh, Bike of the Year testers for this year? Are you excited for, for next year already, Simon? Yeah, I am. I hope we can... I think, like Warren says, I hope more brands say
2: uh, yes to us next year, but then obviously that means mm-hmm. more work, but you know, I love my job. Do you
1: love testing? Warren?
0: Uh, yeah, I think you know, once, um, once the industry gets over its... Uh, avail- Trauma. <laughs> Trauma and its availability woes, it will be in a much brighter place. And... There are some really, really interesting bikes coming. for.
1: It. Yes, it's going to be a good year ahead. Lots of tasty stuff to come. And if you want to get all of that tasty news, make sure you subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast. Give us a cheeky five-star rating if you think we deserve it, which of course we do. And if you have any questions at all, or any queries, feedback, there will be an article accompanying this uh, podcast on the BikeRadar.com homepage. We can leave your thoughts. Simon and Warren, thank you so much. Thank you for all your hard work on Bike of the Year. And speak to you again soon
0: thanks for listening to the bike radar podcast if you have not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode